This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. Konnichiwa, and for the final time, you're welcome to the Left Wing Rugby World Cup Daily from outside the Yokohama Stadium, where South Africa have just been crowned world champions after an utterly dominant performance in the final against England. Uh, Rory O'Connor here, Jonathan Bradley's beside me. We're in possibly the least glamorous place we've recorded a podcast to date, sitting on a wall underneath a piece of uh, road furniture outside the Yokohama International Stadium. But Jonathan, that doesn't matter. What we've just witnessed was a bit of rugby history, a very, very impressive performance from a very, very powerful South Africa team who managed the game unbelievably well and are deserved champions. Absolutely. I think um, I do think that was probably the most dominant display in a final that we've seen. New Zealand 87, New Zealand 2015, maybe the only rivals, but I think that was that was a step above that from start to finish. I thought they were on top. Their forward display... Uh, it was just off the charts, really, and the tries at the end obviously put gloss on the scoreline, but it was deserved. And for the way that they played as well, I was happy that they got the tries. I think the scoreline wouldn't have done justice to the increased ambition that they showed there as well, on top of um, what was obviously a hugely um, impactful performance of the set piece. Let's start at the beginning. I mean, it's just the actual experience of being at a World Cup final. We talked about it on, on Thursday or Friday, whenever we did the last podcast is something quite special. How did you find it as a, as a thing to be at, as a thing to attend? What should make it the atmosphere building up? Because the noise levels beforehand were pretty impressive. Yes, certainly. There was obviously an awful lot of England fans had made their way over and got tickets. I'd say it was probably about 70-30 maybe. If in, not more, yeah, yeah definitely. I think a lot of the Japanese people, Eddie Jones is remarkably popular over here. Um, is marketing about 16 different lines of different products um, based on his 2015 efforts and the fact that he is half Japanese I think lends itself to that so I think the, the, they were the neutral's choice as well Yeah definitely but you could see sort of the huge huge seas of uh, of white jerseys there were a few pockets obviously of Springbok fans as well and just the sense of occasion at the at the start. Obviously, you've experienced it before, but it was it was my first time, and it was one of those things that you do sort of, I suppose, sit back from at a point and just think this is a special thing to be at, like especially uh, when you can call it your job. 
So for Kyle Sinclair, it's the greatest moment of his rugby career. He goes through all those experiences that we have, except for he's actually involved in it and he's earned it and he's worked all his whole life to be at this point. Not that we haven't, but it's now, but it's a little bit different. Um, and two minutes in, he goes to tackle. I can't remember who it was he was trying to tackle, but his head comes off Maro Toje's and he's gone. And while I don't want to put everything down to Dan Cole coming on for Kyle Sinclair after two minutes of the game, and I'm not necessarily sure that Kyle Sinclair would have been able to deal with what um, Tende Matawera threw at it, uh, Dan Cole over the course of the game, England, who arrived 20 minutes late um, because of delays in traffic, and Eddie Jones said it wasn't an excuse, then lost their starting tight head prop and were forced to use probably one of their least dynamic but most experienced players for 77 minutes. I mean, all that preparation, all the stuff that, you know, all the build up, all the talk all week that we, and then something like that happens after two minutes and everything changes. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be looked at probably from our perspective and certainly from a South African perspective but um, looking at it in the way that England will look at it I think that's going to be their great their great what if coming into the or looking back on this tournament because Kyle Sinclair for me was the most impressive tight head at this tournament Yeah, um, certainly off the back of what he did last week and to lose him and then to have what happened at the scrum happen it really was for all the areas that South Africa were dominant England were never going to get a platform. Like I saw Ronan Agar tweeting during the game that for all the advances in rugby that we've seen over the years, the scrum's still number one. If you don't have it, you're not going to be able to win the game. And I think it was three penalties in the first half, two in the second. And you mentioned Cole having to go 77 minutes there. If you imagine that as a task, you know, the beast is rolling back the years. That was 2009 vintage, 10 years apart. Yeah, if, um, if, if Dan Cole needs to talk to someone, Phil Vickery's his man. Yeah, like incre- incredible stuff for what's probably going to be his last uh, last test. He's obviously 34 now. But for then, the subs to come on, and um, we've talked about that 6-2 split, we've talked about how powerful their bench is, but 44 minutes, and then they're bringing on the subs. Straight after that, they win another two penalties. Arguably better players. Yeah. Certainly Beast is in unbelievable form. I think he's in the best form he's had for a long long time but Kitsoff probably is the player that if you were going out with a checkbook to sign a loose head from that South African squad you'd probably go after Kitsoff but, but the beast has done so much to sort of work and I thought I have to check it again but I think it was Joe Marler who was caught and I'm jumping ahead a little bit but who, who was caught in the edge when they went wide and people scored and I think that's they just ground down the, the English tight five and made them completely redundant in the game Um it wasn't particularly pretty and I met one journalist from England who was leaving it or was heading down for a cup of coffee at half time who said imagine you spent £2,000 to come over and watch that to me though it was the essence of rugby in 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 the most kind of Old Testament of senses you know it was proper Springbok rugby and uh, it showed that while New Zealand have led the way for a number of years there's still a place in the game for the scrum there's still and in fairness the All Blacks are very good scrummagers but there's still a place in the game for a really strong scrum a really good line out an excellent defence I mean Razi Rasmus's task in turning things around in basically less than two years was a monumental one and he went back to basics and stripped things back a bit for his players but it's almost a lesson to players out there. You obviously, you have to be unbelievably powerful and big and strong to be able to do it. But if you're well organized, you can achieve so much. Yeah, I think it's important that we make the distinction between the way that South Africa played today and the way that they played over the preceding 120 minutes. Because yeah. there is a way, and I wrote about this last week, there is a way for traditional Springbok rugby to be great to watch. It's brutally effective. 
but the, you can derive a pleasure from that kind of game. Yeah, we just didn't in the quarterfinal and the semi-final because it was a different type of performance. Uh, they were getting by. I, I'm, yeah. I'm convinced now, and I was convinced last week, but I'm more convinced now that they were conserving energy, that Razi Rasmus basically didn't want what happened to England to happen to them, that they delivered a massive performance in the semi-final and sail into the final and just not have it. That he timed, I think, his preparation every like as a coaching achievement, and we'll come back to it, it was really impressive. And yeah, there was a lot to like. I mean, there was one stage early in the second half where they went off the top in a short line-out, went sent Dialende up the midfield, then went back to the blind side and set up a mall. The entire forward pack was waiting for the ball and set up a mall. And I was just like, this is just clever, smart play. England put, sacked it, Pollard kicked the penalty. I'm not sure it was the, the 12th or the 15th points, but it was kind of one of those. I think it might have put them nine, you know, nine points between the teams. It was smart. It was really good tactically. And there's just no compulsion or anyone to throw the ball around if you don't want to. If you have the pack strength that South Africa have and a, a controlling pair of 9 and 10 who are really smart why not play that way and then when the, when the chance comes go for it because when the chances did come they took them far better than England absolutely like the chances that they did take were really created out of nothing bits of magic from uh, from both wings and I think England will want to see the Colby try again certainly but um, I think you know you talk about Erasmus there 26 tests to go from the team that lost 57-0 to the All Blacks, a team that got beat 38-3 by Ireland, a team that lost to Italy. 26 tests from that to turn them into World Cup winners. It's one of the great coaching achievements to do that in such a short space of time. He does have very good raw materials and I think that's something he's tapped into better than any Springbok coach in the, in, in the last couple of years. It helps that he's also the performance director so he can actually... Um, basically set the policies around what he wants to do as coach you know he's not kind of rowing you know he, he's basically the Dave Nusifor and Joe Schmidt rolled into one he has the biggest player base I know England probably have more numbers of players but there's more professional rugby players from South Africa than anywhere else and they're all of high quality as as we know from Ireland you know that each province has always you know the last couple of years has always had a couple of really good South Africans in their team no, Some no, more no than less <laughs> well I mean Munster right now you can't uh, I don't think Ulster can uh, Ulster used to have a great contingent but um but he's tapped into it. He's got them organised. It was really interesting to hear Sia Khaleesi, and we'll get back to the match itself in a few minutes, but say that Erasmus, one of the first things he said was stop being, you know, talking about how proud you are and how hard you work on social media and actually just do it and focus on your rugby. You know, prioritise your rugby over all else. Um, you know, Khaleesi said that, you know, people were off kind of earning endorsement deals and, you know, living through their social media, basically building their profile when they should have been building their rugby careers and he's focused in on that and, I mean, stripping that back and engaging that group of players, because I was over in 2016 when they lost Ireland once and, you know, possibly should have lost that series to a very understrength Ireland team. We were probably both there in 2017 when they came to Dublin under Alistair Cotsia, one of his final games, and Ireland put 40 points on them. And, like, it blew them away in one of the best Ireland performances of that World Cup cycle. World Cup cycles maybe are just overrated in, in general. Um, to produce that performance on the basis of that kind of short period of time um, shows how much the players have bought into what he wants to do. And it's going to be an interesting way, I think, that history will view this um, South Africa team because it is probably, they're probably a year off their peak. You know, we talked about it the other day of having to build the attacking structures last. They've obviously put a huge amount of emphasis, as you say, into stripping things back, getting their uh, their fitness levels where they want them to be, getting their defence, which was, again was superb here, where they needed to be, getting their set piece back to where it should always be. And I think it's like in a year's time, 
maybe we'll look at the South Africa team differently. I still think there's going to be, in a strange way, there's going to be people that think more so than any other world champion we've ever seen that this isn't the best team in the world. I think that's probably going to be a hallmark of the fact that they've lost a game. You know, they haven't beat New Zealand in two attempts this year. England beat New Zealand and then South Africa beat England. It's a different dynamic to one that we've ever had in the World Cup. And it's a weird... It's been a weird tournament that way, isn't it? I mean, New Zealand got up for two games but couldn't get up for England and they were very good on Friday night in a nothing game against Wales. England left everything out there against New Zealand and couldn't get back up for it a week later, whereas Erasmus, because he ended up and decided to draw, uh, ably assisted by Ireland, who didn't top their pool, he didn't... You know, they could kind of manage Japan. They kind of kept Japan at arm's length in that quarterfinal in Tokyo. They kind of basically managed their way through against Wales as well. He was even able to rest Cheslin Colby um, he picked that 6-2 split I mean this is now I think a template for World Cups that you kind of keep six, six forwards in your bench because you need to bring them on you need to keep your, your starters fresh and your finishers fresh to use an Eddie Jonesism. so like Eddie Jones was at a loss to explain it today I mean he, he kind of refused it to be honest I mean he gave quite a performance in the mix on afterwards which we we'll probably hear about on Monday um, uh, due to press embargoes but he, um, he was in um, fairly confrontational form with the, the English media but it was, it, I mean, while he was at a loss to explain it, I mean, England didn't get up to the level. They weren't really allowed to. They were just destroyed. And, and I thought South Africa managed the scoreboard so well. They went, they, even though they missed the first kick through Pollard, they built the score, won their scrum penalties, earned that one we were talking about. And when England just slightly had to chase it, they struck. And for Manpipi, who likes the Akalisi grew up in a township, um, a player who probably we both saw playing Pro 14 two seasons ago, um, he was with the he was originally with the Kings, and then he went to the Cheetahs. Now he's with the Sharks and in, in Super Rugby. That's right, isn't it? Um, a player, you know, he, he was lighting it up in fairness. He, he, you could always sell, but I think he was one of the worst players on the pitch when they lost New Zealand and Albany in that record defeat two and a half years ago. So he's been on a personal journey. Um, it's just this, like people thought he couldn't defend. Yeah, and, and he couldn't. Fair, at like the time. He, he couldn't. Yeah, like because I, I remember that first Cheetahs Pro 14 game was at uh, was at Ravenhill, and I remember seeing him and. Um, I think it was Andrew Trimble he burned past on the wing to score a try in that very first game and everyone was just sort of like, whoa, that fella's fast. But you didn't know how much more to his game that there was. Yeah. And I think you've seen that, you know, he's a very different player even to the one that was scoring tries for fun in the Pro 14 now. We were speaking in the mix on there, but to be honest, I, he was so softly spoken that I could barely tell you what he was saying because he, it was very hard to hear him in the mix on. After a World Cup final is, is almost as intense as uh, the, the pitch out there. It's uh, quite a scrum. Um, thousands of th or hundreds of journalists trying to get a couple of words with a couple of players. But um, the you know the Chelsea and Colby try was a bit of a joy to behold. And I do think I think you made this point on the way out that it was good that South Africa did put that bit of gloss on it. I mean England actually looked like they were coming back into it in the second half. They um, that turnover by Tom Curry followed by you know Farrell missed that penalty which was a yeah, key penalty like, to miss because you know that's uh, if he makes that penalty which it looked like he should have done that's a three point game with 25 yeah. minutes to go and it's almost uh, a mirror image of what it was last week when England were dominating New Zealand and you were just thinking have they put enough distance yeah. between themselves and the scoreboard here but um, Farrell obviously missed the penalty and then the response by South Africa was so good I do feel like I feel like that penalty miss, the energy kind of went out of the stadium a wee bit. The yeah. energy probably went out of England a wee bit. And then obviously, you know, South Africa um, saw, the, saw the game out with uh, two very, very good late tries. And I'm not sure how 
much people appreciate how much energy scrummaging like that takes out of you if you're on the back foot and mm. you're losing everyone, your momentum, and you're, you're just, it just saps your legs. You've got nothing left you know, for getting around the park, and then you're trying to make tackle after tackle because South Africa bring that power game as well. And even when they you know, put the ball over you, you've got to track back. You know, it just takes an awful lot out of you know, your game, your energy levels, your ability to kind of do the basic things, and then 15 minutes to go, they start you know, throwing the ball wide a little bit and you're, you're in serious trouble. Um, we've touched on it already. I mean, there's a, a great story in the South African team. I mean, we've, I'm sure a lot of people have either read Michael, uh, is it Michael Carlin's book. Um, John, which John, John Carlin, sorry, yeah, that was Invictus was right, based on. I'm sure a lot of people have seen Invictus as well. Um, you know, there's always a, a different element to the Springboks at World Cups. It is their third World Cup. It's definitely the most diverse team. Um, probably the most diverse final we've ever seen um, but it was the most definitely most diverse uh, South African team we've ever seen win a World Cup captained by a black uh, player for the first time uh, Sia Khaleesi who's a very 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 impressive I'm sure people have read about him during the week and him and Erasmus spoke so well in that press conference didn't they after the game about what it meant and how they prioritised things other than rugby over the course of the tournament yeah it was a really sort of powerful press conference like um I don't know whether Rousey was waiting for the question, but his answer was um, just so well delivered in terms of, you know, talking about, and I think it is a, it's an important point to make, you know, that the, I suppose the inequality in South Africa financially is still so stark. A lot of the players that we would see probably feel a wee bit insulated towards that in a way. You know, whenever you talk to an awful lot of the guys that would come over to Ireland, they've been through similar journeys to what the players in Ireland have by and large yeah. but to um, to hear the way Erasmus spoke about Khaleesi and his journey even for like Khaleesi to have his father over you know it's the second time that he's ever seen him play live it's the first time that he's ever left South Africa Amazing. and to have him here to share in that moment with him it's like it really was stirring stuff like and stuff that without um sounding overly wordy or anything it really did transcend rugby like it did and that's you know that's one of the things that this tournament able to do and has done in the past and it will capture a lot of imaginations won't it i mean it was uh it was just an impressive i don't know i mean it was a kind of human moment that erasmus was able to kind of move us all away from the rugby you know everyone's in a, in a room trying to get a line and trying to hang a piece on something and find out why it was that south africa um won the world cup um and he's able to kind of just change the whole thing in the way that he did. It was it was really really impressive. He also moved the focus a little bit onto the lines. I think what was it four hundred sixty one days until the lines arrive in South Africa or something like that. Three three hundred and something. Three hundred and sixteen. Uh, should be a bit more than that because it's two years. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, oh, sorry, six hundred. We've we've six hundred forty one. Yeah. That's what it was. Sorry. So we apologise to the listeners for that bit of uh, <laughs> poor mathematics. That's why we're journalists. Um, and it's going to be now Warren Gatlin said it last night it'll be the third time he's fourth time he's been involved and the third time he's coaching against the world champions on the Lions tour um, every time the or sorry the last three times that the Springboks have faced the Lions have been doing it as world champions as it, well and it probably you know whets the appetite a lot of those English players are probably go down looking for revenge but uh, yeah, I suppose we've a lot of time to um, to think about that we've you know to get back and think about Pro 14 and the Heineken Cup and Six Nations and all of those sort of things but for now the, the World Cup rests in South Africa, it's as we said at the start. It's our last podcast. It's I mean, is this, this your last night in 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 Japan, or have you one more to go? Uh, uh, well, pretty much. I'll be going to the airport um, this time tomorrow night. Yeah, this time tomorrow night. So 
reflections. I mean, it's it's been it's been a long time. It's been a great time. It's it's been a great tournament, and I got a good finish. Yeah, like um, it's been a wonderful, a wonderful country to visit. Ne- had never been here before. Obviously now. I think you said the other day, you know, we've been here seven weeks. It sort of feels like we live here now. It'll be uh, strange to go back to the to the middle of winter in Belfast. I was watching the Ulster game this morning, and it, it, it couldn't have looked further away, like with uh, the the pouring rain in uh, in Kingspan. So I, I think like that's probably going to be my main takeaway from probably from this World Cup, just how special a country this is and um, just the way that the people embraced it because I think I was as sceptical as anyone when it was said to be um, coming here and um, just in terms of the sporting landscape here and, you know, back then um, Japan had only won one World Cup game in their history and to see the way that their team performed, to see the way their team was embraced and to see the way that even since Japan have gone out, you know, you mentioned people adopting England, but we've seen people adopting South Africa, people adopting um, New Zealand as well. Japanese fellow in Ireland jersey at the match tonight. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's just, it's been a special tie, a special seven weeks for the sport of rugby in, in Japan, certainly. I'm a bit worried about you because you look absolutely freezing now and it's still about 15 <laughs> degrees. I don't think you've dressed appropriately. And um, if you continue in that fashion, we all, we, you, you, you might freeze to death <laughs> up in Ravenhill in a couple of weeks' time. As you say, it's been a special experience. It's been our pleasure to bring, it, uh, bring a sense of it to you um, back home. As you said, it's our last one. So just a quick thanks to Keen, who's not here, to Jonathan, who's joined me, at the um, Tom Carey, Ruth Gorman, who joined us, to Gavin Hennessy, who's got up in the middle of the night to put this show out uh, every so often, and all the staff back at Independent.ie. It's been an amazing seven weeks. It's at an end. We're headed home. So all there is left to say is sayonara. Sayonara. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.